Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to episode 170. It's episode 170. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, you're back to co-host this week. We got news coming out. <laughs> Things are getting back to normal. Things are getting back to normal. I guess, you know, should we break the news of where Sergio went yet? You think that we should – I mean, technically we broke the news last week, um, you know, that, that he was leaving the Chronicle. Um, and as I'm getting on his Twitter page right now, I don't see that he's actually updated it, which makes me wonder, has he actually broke the news himself? Should we break the news to him of where he's going? I wonder, wonder, does he know where he's going? That would be funny. That would be funny if you did. Yeah, well, I mean. I'm down for it. I mean, they can cost me nothing. I think we should fire him from his his, his spot as his co-host of the Texas Guest Podcast. He didn't show up for work today. Oh, yeah. So we're firing him. Yeah, we're firing from his job as Texas One Guest uh, Podcast third co-host or whatever he's going to be. Um, I'll text him while we're on air and see if we can. Is his his stuff? None of his stuff is updated. Um, and I thought today was the day. So, anyways, that of course the show webinar, folks. We are just two weeks away. Uh, we if we have a show next week, it would just be something brief. Uh, I don't think we're planning on having one. So, uh, which means the next show. By the time the next show comes out. You know, maybe you'll have time to register or not. So you need to go ahead and register for that. It's $10. It's simply $10 to get into that bad boy. So 10 to get in. You got David Blackman, DRW, Unwald, and Anas Alahaji. Um, we'll all be on there talking about the future of the U.S. shell industry. So a lot of different perspectives. So 10 to get in. Or, or if you don't want to attend the live event and you sign up for the War Room newsletter, you will get a copy of the recording as part of your membership there. So there you go. Awesome. Well, um, Ryan, uh, just in case, just in case I'm not there, one of the questions I have for uh, Al Haji, well, if uh, during that during that deal is, will the crude quality of the Texas shale uh, prevent the U.S. from uh, being able to rebound with the Saudis and all that, all the stuff that's going on? That's one of the questions I have that I really just don't have enough knowledge to to know. Yeah, I will. That's a good question. I put. Uh, I'm actually working on sending them a list of the things we're going to talk about, and so. Because, and just as a reference, I mean, the crew quality was already an issue, and they were you know blending things together. But what I'm wondering is, I have no doubt that oil is coming back. I just don't know what that means for light, light crude that's Very in clean. the Permian. Right, there's my book right there. And you're, you're, you know, so yeah, I will be asking that as I will be, as you're pointing out, Josh, I will be moderating the event. So if I can find my notebook, I'll put my notes in it. Um, I'll write that down, but crude quality. Okay. Yep. I will, I will get to that. All right. So, uh, article out this week, oil and gas industry assesses damage at refinery. So shouldn't be too much of a surprise. We had a hurricane come through, uh, tore up, um, quite a few refineries it hit louisiana pretty hard we got a lot of friends family that was affected by by the storm but uh oil and gas producers they evacuated platforms and rigs in the gulf 
and uh, shut down a lot of, a lot of refineries. And uh, I think they have here a note, 900,000 customers were without power in Louisiana, Texas, and Arkansas. Uh, so that's just huge numbers. Uh, the Port Arthur refinery owned by Motiva Enterprises leaked more than 200 pounds of volatile organic compounds, emitted 100,000 pounds of those and other pollutants during its shutdown. So uh, <laughs> tough, tough week for Tough week for the the industry um, and the and the refining uh, space. Yeah, um, it looks like, and now I know on some level we had you know some um, devastation or however you want to say that, but but also it seemed that some of the reports were that it wasn't as bad at least from um, a death toll that they were expecting. So so that's um, that is a positive now. I did hear it. Have y'all looked this up? I heard there's a couple more in the that are like in the Gulf or coming or is, is are they projected? I saw something. I saw like they were looking way out. I mean, you're probably, okay. you know, a week and a half, two weeks out. Uh, but there was something forming that looks like it could be another one. Okay. So it's still, uh, let's see here. Here it is. Four tropical storm systems developing in the Atlantic Ocean as record-setting hurricane season continues. It just says 2020 continues because at this point. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you right now. Um 2020 coronavirus climate change they're about to come out the woodwork bro let's, go. <laughs> let's see here it's uh yes yeah, so there's four that they're tracking okay uh one there's one of the georgia coast um okay so i don't uh, yeah there's one okay so we'll have to see it looks like like you said we're still we're still a little bit out but yeah we don't you know if we get back to back that would be pretty pretty brutal that'd be pretty brutal so it's uh anyways but no hope everyone's safe down there and uh, as you say we have some friends and family back in louisiana and they was out of not only power they had a water which is like strange you know it's you know water yeah. I mean, power you kind of expect but getting out of water that's a that's a pretty big deal yeah i i've in all my years i've never been without water so that's uh that's tough I, and we're talking about northeast louisiana not not down in um south, south texas southeast texas or uh, South Louisiana. So from our perspective, uh, you know, these are folks up in Northeast Louisiana that, that lost, um, lost water. So anyways, yeah. So hope everyone's okay. They made it through. Okay. And hopefully we won't, we won't have any more bad ones for the rest of the year. Yeah. And not, not only the refineries run, but uh, also some of the exports were affected by this. So, uh, it, it's a, they, the hurricane suspended, uh, temporarily operations at several LNG facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and it says that their shipments are on track to fall to their lowest in 18 months. So even more than the coronavirus, I mean, it's, it's temporary, so it's not nearly as severe, but um, they're definitely af- affecting the ability to export uh, LNG and, and oil. So that uh, they got another one coming in. It may be a delayed, um, it may be delayed further. Which I'm sure that that wouldn't hurt prices uh, for a little while. That, that may one one good thing in all of this may be that uh, prices will go up for a little while. Help help some. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's interesting on the on the prices. I was kind of watching over the weekend talking about um, you know the schools and who's opening and who's not. And then I think New Jersey they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. And uh, I think California kind of said that they're going to they've changed their requirements for the restrictions and um, it's, you know, it's, it's impossible. I don't know. Maybe I'm sure there's some website that kind of tracks all this stuff. If so, please email it to us. But you know, it's, 
God, it's crazy because if you look around the world right now, look around the world, there are protests going on all over the world. Um, and, and they're not all tied to, to COVID related items, but there's plenty of them that are, they're tied to masks or to shutdowns or to things like that. And so, you know, you, you just have to wonder how much longer can we see or will we see um, political unrest between, you know, the, um, the, the kind of the, the pop, the, the people, if you will. And, and the, the elite, of course, in our country, we have protests over all kinds of things, not just, uh, you know, COVID shutdowns. So um, I say out to say that, it, you know, the protest on some level are about opening up, but when you have mass protests, it kind of keeps things from opening back up because you, know, you can have people out kind of uh, um, altering how, how supply and demand works or stores opening or things like that. So not, not really weighing in on who should or shouldn't be protesting, but it's just, it's kind of interesting that there's, there's a global frustration right now with um, being locked down for so long. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I saw, I saw several uh, protests that were going on. Uh, the senators, I mean, I, I saw, I, I assume everyone saw the stuff at the RNC where, um, a couple of people were, I don't know if attacked or harassed or what the right word would be there. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely, definitely tumultuous out there. Uh, the, the rig count, uh, a little bit of good news coming out is, uh, the rig count only fell three this week. It went up 10 last week. So it's, um, hopefully uh, starting a, a, a slow climb back up. Uh, in Texas, the rig count is 107. Um, so I think total in the nation is 254. Uh, so, and I say that's that's not oil rigs, that's oil and gas. Um, I think na- na- nationally there's 180 oil rigs. So what, what we're seeing is a little, little bit of good news with, uh, with the rig count. We're seeing those start to slowly tick back up, which Happy to see that. I mean, that's uh, that's been something that we've been keeping an eye on because it has been devastating for the last four to six weeks. I say, I guess probably longer yeah, than that, really. Or that, yeah. I, but I don't really think. I mean, someone sent me a thing the other day asking, uh, "Did I think that we're going to see the rigs pick back up?" I mean, you might see a handful add-on here or there, but it, it feels like, like with the with the protest, with the election coming up, and all this stuff, it feels like we're just we're still a few months out before you're going to see many real changes in, in the rig count. I mean, you, you could have, you know, when you start dropping the numbers like this, if you start, if you add 10 rigs or 15 rigs, all of a sudden the percentages start to look better because you have these, you know, the smallest number, the easier it is to increase the percentage change as we all know. So you might see the percentage um, number kind of move around a little bit, but the substance of the, of the, of the amount of rigs, I can't, I can't imagine we're going to see that many um, overall come on between now and the end of the year, unless, I mean, listen, it's 2020. What am I saying? Yeah. <laughs> what am I saying? Who knows? Yeah, I would, I, I would agree with that. I mean, if you look at the, the, one of the questions, I, I popped the article in here just uh, just to kind of throw into the discussion. Um, it was uh, the Saudi Aramco discovers two oil gas fields in the kingdom. Um, and the reason I, I wanted to point that out is uh, I don't know exactly what their status is, but they've been they've been backing off since the coronavirus for a while, pretty much because they have to. Um, what do you, what do we think they're going to be at when oil say gets back up to 55, 60, like what, what do we think they're going to do? And I'm sorry, Josh, Sergio was just texting me. We can release the news. So start your question again. I will break Sergio's news for him on the show, 
but I missed the first part of your question. That's all right. Uh, so Saudi Aramco, they discovered two oil and gas fields in the kingdom. And, and I was talking about, uh, let's say, for the, from now until December, that rig count stays pretty low and oil stays around 40 to $45 a barrel if it just hangs in there and it never gets up to 55 And let's say January, February next year, oil starts to climb up and it hits 58 what do we think the Saudis are going to do? What, what do we think their response to that is going to be? Um, yeah, because, that's, you know, that's, I think that's kind of the, the, that's the, the elephant. That's the, <laughs> well, you got them in Russia. So it's a herd of elephants, you know, yeah. and then you've got, you know, you know, what is, you know, what does China do as well? Um, I don't think, um, you know, China's position as far as a producer is it maybe uh, isn't as large, obviously, as, as the Saudis, um, but you know their influence over the markets is becoming uh, more and more um, um, prominent. Uh, yeah, so I, I, you know, what the Saudis are going to do and what OPEC's going to do. The problem is everyone's going to be hurting. So you would think that you know moving forward, um, they're going to try to let the prices not get out of hand, but you know try not to put it back down because, you know, Russia's hurting, the Saudis are hurting, you know, everyone seems to be. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, that's, that's just the big unknown for me because uh, it seems like 10 years ago that, that the coronavirus wasn't the main issue. It was, uh, it was the Russians and the Saudis starting to go back and forth, and that's what caused the prices to plummet to negative numbers. But then the coronavirus just put you smoke 10 on. years ago? It felt like 10 years ago. It feels like 10 years ago. I know it was like oh. March. Oh, no, I was like, well, yes, 10 years ago, the coronavirus was not the problem. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I didn't hear the felt like. I was like. Yeah, it felt yeah, like, felt yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, 10 years ago, the coronavirus was not the problem. <laughs> yeah, we had a time machine. Yeah, so, uh, and so what I'm wondering is once the prices start to go back up, I think that original, I mean, that that was the big, that was the big, the big problem there. I mean, the coronavirus just forced them to, to, drop production which is allowing the prices to go back up some i just i'm i'm a little little concerned what's going to happen when the prices get back up to 55 60 because well what do they need it to be it doesn't need to be that high for them to to do really well well. yeah i mean yeah well that's kind of the that's that's depends on what they need to be, what you're you're about to to, to, to maintain the sovereign wealth funds to replenish them stuff like that those are kind of um Different things, but I'll just say this: if we if we go back, and as you say, it feels like it's been ten years ago. When we go back, the prices were starting to fall already because of the demand uh-huh. from COVID, yeah. and the Saudi. So the Saudis and the Russians, from our standpoint in the oil industry, expedited what was going to happen eventually. Now they might have made it worse as well. You can say, but. The way the world shut down, we would have been in a bind regardless. Mm-hmm. Now, we can start debating over how big of a bind and, you know, it's, it's hard to know how everyone would have responded without the Saudis and Russians do, doing what they did. So we can't really go back and say, you know, what would have happened because we don't know if, if every, everybody else would have done the same thing. And the prices could be uh, weaker now because companies could have kept on drilling. So, so it's kind of hard to say what what everyone else would have done. Um but yeah, the, the prices were already going down, and that's the thing is they were going down. And you know, maybe in hindsight, maybe the Russians and the Saudis did everyone a favor by kind of speeding up, speed, speeding it up for us. Uh, it sounds counterintuitive, but I'm not, I'm not saying that's necessarily my position. It's just um, they did kind of expedite what was going to happen um, 
for us. But you're right. And so, you know, if the Russians and the Saudis, I think you got to separate those two names. Okay. So the, the Saudis are more of an ally to the U S than the Russians are obviously. And so what the Saudis might do and what the Russians might do, um, sometimes we kind of use those terms as if they're trying to work together. You, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I know, I know you're not saying that, but you kind of, you got to think of it separately. Um, and obviously on some level, they are, everyone's kind of working together. Um, so I, I, my inkling is as it stands today on August, whatever 31st is that the, the Russians and the Saudis are going to be content to let the price go back up mainly because they're facing the economic pressures like everyone else is. That's kind of my, that's kind of my stance. Um, if they came back out and started kind of the, another price war, if you will, and, and, and increased drilling moving forward, um, you know, let's say October, November, not only would it, would it hurt their economy? It would, it would probably, you know, if the, if the Saudis did at least, it might put an end to OPEC because all these other OPEC nations that need the price to be higher, you know, they're going to look at the Saudi Arabia and be like, dude, you're, you're killing us. You know, you put the prices back to the tens or twenties. So I don't, I don't, unless they're going to play some kind of game where they think that they're really going to eliminate the U S but that's not how it works. Right. Our companies yeah. was going to bankruptcy, new company coming eventually. Um, so my, yeah. I, I, well, what do you think the chances are that they want to hold it around 40, 45? None. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I would think, I'm saying, let's just say it gets up to 60 and it's like, now they have this huge opportunity in order uh, where they can, they don't have to like go into the price war with, with Russia, yeah. but they can increase drilling at a level that mm-hmm. makes it hard for so, oil yeah. to, so to go over I, 50. I think that's going to be the thing is what they want to do versus what they, what they need to do. So think about it like this, um, you know, if you're saying, if you're saying, I'm trying to think of a good analogy off the top of my head here, and I, I can't, so this would be a, a bad analogy. Let's just get that out there. But if you're saying, okay, listen, we lost um, $100 million last year, just to make the math easy. Okay, we lost $100 million um, last year. And um, as the price of oil goes up from 40 to 65, just to use those numbers, if it gets to 65 and we increase drilling by 20%, then we'll make up our $100 million, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's what that's that's the fake Saudi math I'm saying here. So when it gets to 65, the Saudis increase their drilling by 20 percent to make the 100 million back up. Well, they're not the only ones who are going to increase their, increase their drilling, right? Everyone's going to increase their drilling. So it might so the result might be that you try to make back your 100 million by increasing by 20 percent, and what happens is is the price goes back down because more people increase their drilling. So so you could it could it could look as if well you know, Hey, we, uh, you know, here we are, we're trying to, um, you know, everybody's, everybody's making money at, at 65, but then everyone increases their drilling. So therefore the price comes back down. I think that's probably more likely, but I'm not necessarily sure that should be viewed as a way to keep the prices down as much as, um, well, it is to keep the prices down obviously because they, they want to, they don't want the price out of control, but it's not, it's not a, a mechanism to keep the price at $40. Do you see what I'm saying? It's, it's more of a trying to make their money back. And so they're trying to balance, how much more can they drill and keep the price in a, in a respectable range? Yeah. Well, that's going to be the, that's going to be the question and how is all, how it all works out because uh, 
there's a lot of moving pieces and a lot of players in it that, that uh, aren't necessarily under anyone's control. So that's going to be it's going to be interesting to see. I'm I'm ready to I'm ready yeah. to be talking about that instead of the coronavirus and old demand. <laughs> let's get let's get that back and see this play out because uh, that's right. Uh, and I think that I think the other thing is is that historically you could say, well, this is how old demand worked. This is where it was. You know, we're, we're kind of trying to figure out what the new demand models look like, and so. You know, uh, an increase in drilling now might have a more until we kind of everything is back open. So you you, got, you have steps, right? So you have everything's got to be back to open, um, and that's kind of a demand model phase one, if you will. So you have demand model now, which is kind of all over the place because things are up and down, up and down. Well, once everything, assuming everything goes back to open, um, well then you have a new demand model, okay? Because now we're going to say, well, this is this is how things are going to work, but that's not really the, the new demand model because you have people who still won't go to concerts and fly across the country and you know go to restaurants. So that's not a true demand model. It's um it's it's the current demand model. Well, then as time goes along, people will either begin to get back out or we're going to find that they won't, and then you kind of have a better demand model. So the the hard part for producers, especially large producers like the Saudis, is is as the price goes back up and we look at these demand numbers. Um, you know, are those demand numbers going to be a, a, a reflection of what we expect to see, or are they going to be um, where you see maybe you know increased demand because people are kind of out and they're you know you know projects are booming and they're trying to do that stuff? And so, uh, and then the final thing is, this all presumes that the U.S. economy and the stock market stuff we're seeing right now is actually reality, which <laughs> I'm not entirely convinced that what we're seeing with the stock market is reality. So, you know, if you have an economic reset here with the stock market. And the stock market starts to crash. I mean, just real quick, as an aside, I think the SP 500 is hitting new highs. Well, only four companies, it's like four or five companies on the SP 500 are actually up year over year. The 495 other ones are not. Yeah. So the SP 500 is setting records off of four companies yeah. <laughs> or five companies. It's like four or five, it's four, five or six. I can't remember what it is, but it's, it's, it's less than 10. Um, that's what's setting the records. And so it's like, well, what does that say about? The, the the viability of the SP 500 is probably not, it's probably got some rocky times ahead. Um, so anyways, so I think a lot of that um, comes into play. All right, today we have a special guest on the show. Joining us today is Jay Young. He's a CEO of King operating since 96. Uh, Jay, great to have you on the show today. I've uh, been looking forward to it for a little while. So great to have you. Well, hold on, Josh, before Jay hops in there. Jay, you've got a show called the Jay Young Show. Now this is twice I've had you on one of my shows, and yet I've never been on the Jay Young show. So I mean, I don't know what the proportion. This is a top. This is one of the top business news podcasts in the world. Do you feel like you're entering the big leagues now? Well, I mean, not. I, that's why I haven't had you on yet because, man, your your goal and your classification on that reciprocation is just way up there. So, <laughs> man, I. But I want to get you on. You you're on my list of people that I need to call to get on right. But you, you travel, man. You've been all over the place. Well, you know, I, this, I did. I did travel. This, I don't, have you heard about this COVID-19 stuff? I've ever done one again. Have you heard about COVID-19? Some about it, yeah. It's, okay, yeah, it's, it's kind of messed up. Yeah. It's kind of messed up my travel here here recently. So, so I was going over to I was going over to eat Chinese food on Saturday night. And I called a guy and he goes, he goes, where are you going? I said, I'm going over to so-and-so and eat Chinese food. And he goes, man, don't go there. He said, that's where it all started. No, no. I said, well, probably not right there in that particular Chinese yeah. restaurant. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. See, you're, we're bringing out a show and you're going to get some trouble already. We already are. We already are edgy. And I can see you're going, you're going to go across the line. You're going to, you're going to go across the line. 
so Jay, I've seen some of your stuff on on uh, on LinkedIn talking about the price of oil. We were just talking about it. Uh, it kind of seems like right now, as we sit here, try to figure out um, what's going to happen next. One of the things that's hard is to figure out what the what the new demand models look like. Um, so I know that you're kind of, or at least what I have seen from you, it seems to be more bullish on the price of oil. Uh, as we round out the end of 2020, or you were, are you still kind of in that position, or what do you think we should expect for the next few months? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question, and and uh, I was thinking of my guns, my marketing people, you know, at, at marketing people, not not my financial analysts and the people that can really understand supply and demand. Mm-hmm. They were like, you know, you're sitting out there because I wrote the article in Forbes, uh, like March 22nd, I think, mm-hmm. March 22nd, I said. $65 oil. <laughs> this is when oil was going to minus, right? I'm like $65 oil by the end of this year. And it's not because it's not because I be, I it's because I believe in the numbers, right? And mm-hmm. I, and I believe what we're seeing is is we're seeing a you know, not, not as many rigs drilling in the United States. We've seen that 1700 rigs like a couple of years ago down to a couple hundred now, 200. You know, so we're not drilling for it. You know, and and we simply, when these wells decline like they do, these shell wells decline, and we're not putting wells back online, or if we do, they're not coming on, we're going to have a supply problem. And what you mentioned, Ryan and Josh, was about the, the demand. And yes, you know, we're going to have a growing demand. Our, our demand is going to grow when everybody goes back to work. Everybody goes back to work and we get we get there. Now, I, I, do, I do say that we may not be all the way back to 100 million barrels a day in the world demand. You know, it may be five to 10 percent below. I believe I do believe that people will get everything airplanes. I'm not sure, man. I'm just not sure if that if that part of the business is going to be there or not. So, but you know what? We use oil for a lot more things than just travel. Mm-hmm. You know, so it will get back, and when it does get back to let's say five to 10 percent, let's say if we get to we need 95 million barrels a day in the world, and the United States is going to be hurting, extremely hurting because we don't have the oil that we did. You know, we went from 5 million to 13 million barrels a day in the United States. Just think about that, 5 to 13 million barrels a day. That's a lot of oil per day. Mm-hmm. So we went, because of the shell plays, Bakken, Permian, Eagleford, I mean, all these shell plays allowed us to get from five to 13 million barrels a day. So, and we need in the United States over 20 a day. So we need 20 million. We're only producing 13. So man, we, and right now we're at, we're at 10 mm-hmm. and it's going down mm-hmm. and it will continue to go down. Why? Because we're not drilling for it. There's like 30 trillion dollars, 30, not probably not trillion, probably billion dollars was spent getting us from that five to 13 million barrels a day. And all of a sudden oil went to a hundred and something dollars a barrel. Now it's coming down. Obviously it came down below, below zero, but then now, you know, we're going to need oil. And when we don't have it and we're looking for it, what's that? What, what happens on the price of oil? I mean, the price of anything, supply and demand. Why did the stock market go up yesterday? More buyers and sellers, right? I mean, that's, why the, why the stock market? I mean, that's how you can tell somebody, Ryan, go, hey, man, I, I can tell you the reason why the stock market went up today. 
Uh, you can? Yeah, heck, heck yeah. Well, because there's more buyers and sellers. That's what's going to happen when we need all that oil at the end of this year. We're going to need that oil, and we're not going to have it in the United States. We may be at 7 or 8 million barrels a day production in the United States. And when that happens, it's price going to go up. That's exactly what happens. So one of the things that what, – when did we have on the Pickering guys, Josh? Was it a few months back? Yeah, Dan Pickering, yeah. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't Dan, but it was his group. Uh, and, and they they have a paper out, and I don't know if we've still got it somewhere, but they were saying what, – what, what, you remember the math, Josh? It was like 25% increase on the initial set of wells, and then they could keep like one well per year to kind of keep the production up. They, they, they had this paper on the decline curves that you're talking about. And their theory, if I understood it correctly, was really that it's not as hard to keep production up once you have it. Another thing is – and we haven't heard about the ducks a lot lately – you know, there was a lot of talk about ducks and, you know, our, in the last report I looked at from the EA seemed that the ducks are going up. And so we might just find ourselves turning on these ducks. It depends on how many ducks you actually think there are. And that's a different discussion, but, um, but the ducks could actually keep product new production is just kind of your defining new, new rigs uh, still a ways off. Or do you think that there's fewer ducks or how does all that play into what you're, what you're uh, kind of forecasting here? No, I mean, I, I definitely agree that there's a lot of ducks out there, which is drilled undeveloped location. They're just, they drilled them and didn't complete them. They're just sitting there. There's thousands. Mm. And, and there, there will be a time when companies go back and go, okay, let's just frack those wells. Still, fracking costs a lot of money, right? I mean, fracking is the majority of, a, of, a, of, the, of, the, of the well, and it's going to cost a lot of money for, for fracking, infrastructure. That's going to take capital. And, you know, people just think, oh, a duck is just go by and just kind of blow on it. And it's going to start producing Oil, no, 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 that's not it. I mean, the fracks are so expensive. The sand, the stages, and there's more stages per foot. There's more sand per foot. I mean, there's there's all these costs that are so expensive. And when you don't have that money because the capital's dried up, I mean, look at the look at the drilling budgets this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, drilling drilling budgets are done. Nobody has any more money to drill any more wells this year. I mean, that, that was like in March and April. They're like. We're going to cut back our budgets to 120 million. Well, we already spent 80 million right. you know, in the first three months. Whoops, right. you know. So people don't have the money. So it, yeah, I agree with you to a point, but I'm also saying that ducks are not the answer that we need to keep oil at at 40 dollars or 20 dollars a barrel. Mm-hmm. You know, oil needs to go to 50 to 60 dollars a barrel before those ducks can make sense, mm-hmm. it, because those ducks. What's going to happen to those ducks? It takes capital, and you're not going to have capital want to give you any money unless you're at fifty, sixty dollars a barrel. Yeah. You know, so when you say, "Yeah, we we can drill one well and keep production up," yeah, you're drilling one well. You're spending eight million dollars to drill and complete one well, and your production goes down for that one well. Now, what they're saying is, we get a new well, get a new well, and continue to drill. Yeah, that's true, exactly. But that's not what. That's not what I'm talking about with economics on one well. Economics on one well is $8 million to drill and complete. It's going to produce X number of barrels of oil. And at this price, what is the economics? And is that repeatable? And and if so, what's that return at $40, $42 a barrel? Yeah, and it seems that you mentioned the money. One of the things that's kind of a concern is you know, Wall Street right now, um, kind of for the past – not new. They were putting pressure on shell producers to you know make money, make money, make money, and you know 
pay your dividends and make, make sure your stockholders are making money. Obviously, this year that really hasn't happened, uh, to, to put it nicely. Um, what do you think about the fear that maybe Wall Street sits back and goes, you know, listen, prices may go up to 60. Jay might be right. Um, but listen, we've got a presidential election around the corner. Uh, not only presidential election, I think the, the, the Senate races across the U.S. are, are important as well. We don't really talk about those as much. Um, and what are the Russians and the Saudis and everyone going to do? Maybe we find ourselves where uh, the Russians and the Saudis get in a pissing match in six months. And so we just want to hold our money off to the side. Um, are you afraid that the capital, um, even if the prices start to tick up, is going to sit on the sideline at least until maybe Q1 of next year? Yeah, you are going to see capital sit on the sidelines. And, and there is a lot of, I mean, this is one of the markets that is just, it's a big boys game. I mean, it, it's, and, it, and it's not just, you know, Saudi Arabia. I mean, that's how the price went down, right? Saudi Arabia, you know, all of a sudden came in and said, okay, we're going to throw all this oil in the market in February of this year. So they threw all this oil in the market and there was so much oil in the market. And all of a sudden the pandemic happened, demand went down 20, 30%. So there was just all this oil. So JP Morgan, said, hey, you know what? Oil is going negative. At that time, JP Morgan said oil prices will go negative, which was crazy. Nobody would ever believe that, you know? So, and all of a sudden, they also came out uh, right after that, and they said, oil is going to 190. Mm -hmm. In five years, 2025, you're going to see oil at 190. Why? Supply and demand. That's all it is. So, when you don't have the capital to drill in complete wells, when when wells really don't make sense at anything less than a hundred dollars a barrel or 80 right. or 60 or 40, you know, I mean, like I said, it costs you X amount of time to drill it. And, and the wells that don't produce as much cost more to frack. Yeah. You know, so it, it and if it does, if it costs you much more to frack, then, then that it costs you more than $8 million to drill and complete a well. That means it's going to produce not as much oil unless you spend this money but if you don't have that price, which is favorable to money, man, you're you're not going to get the capital. And if you don't get the capital, you can't drill the wells. Like I said, we're going to have a supply problem. You know, it's interesting you talk about the supply. And so I wrote an article for Xinhua back in January 11th of this year. And this was, if you remember back in January 11th, here's what's happening. You know, we had just uh, killed Suleimani a few days before. And then I was actually working, hey, but remember this, I was actually working on this article and Iran shoots the missiles over to our base in Iraq. And I'm over here trying to work on this article to be published and there's bombs going off and all this stuff. And the price did nothing. I mean, okay, the price moved, but it really didn't do anything. And so we, we, we you know, and, and we have kind of forgotten that how much supply was really on the, was really in the market just what it were almost nine months ago now. Um, and so to rebalance the market is going to take some time, I think. And the other thing is, it felt like um, when we saw last October, when we had the missile strike in Saudi Arabia uh, at the refinery there, that was the first time you kind of saw a prolonged reaction to war or threat of war or whatever. Whereas, you know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, you know, supply distributions uh, being disrupted, you know, that would really move the price. Um we, 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 did, we never really got back to there. So my, my question is, how are the analysts, you think, going to interpret the data? Because it felt like they were, tr- they were really struggling to, um, since the last downturn in 2016, they were, they were really struggling on how to read the signs of the market. They were, uh, because it was, it was just fundamentally different than it was for the last, well, I mean, you go back and think, prior to 2016, 
how the markets moved. And then post-2016, how the markets moved, it, it felt like the analysts weren't really sure what was going to move the market anymore. And now you have COVID, which is going to kind of screw all that up again, it seems like. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and you're right. With the COVID, with demand, supply and demand, and what's going to happen in the future. You know, right now with demand, you know, you're, you're going to see demand either come back, you know, within 5 to 10% of, of what we need, but you're also going to see, you know, your supply. And I even feel like that with the, with the elections or with just people in general, you're not going to let Saudi Arabia come over and dump out all the market just because they want to. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that really caught Trump by surprise. I know it, it caught him. I know it did. But I mean, because why would he, why would he allow, you know, them to dump so much oil in the market, Russia, Saudi Arabia, and, and, and just get by with it and kill our oil price. Cause all they were trying to do was Saudi Arabia, Russia, they, they're trying to dump as much oil in the market to put us out of business because this is a business to them. I mean, they, they sell oil for a profit and they make money. That's how they make money. We don't do that in the United States. I mean, <laughs> as, as individual guys here, us individual depend, dependents, we do that, but not as a government. As a government, we don't produce, you know, 20 million barrels a day and try to go sell it to China and blah, blah, blah. You know, so they, and they do. So when they did that, I think that was a major hit to Trump. And, you know, Trump's been in West Texas, you know, lately, and he's talking about oil and he's saying, man, you know, prices are going to stay strong. And Biden will let prices stay strong as well because he's going to, he's going to talk about renewables and, and spending his, trillions of dollars on renewables, he needs to think about, man, hey, we have a supply problem. We're going to yeah. have a supply problem. It's, so it's interesting because, you know, we've had several listeners, um, mainly speaker, um, <laughs> who kind of started beating the drum a few years ago saying that, listen, Trump is not for high oil prices. And so it's kind of a, a myth. He, you know, he talks about it in his book and, and stuff. And, and right now, um, well, during the pandemic, if it seemed like for Trump to go out there and to make a big case for, um, you know, doing things that would have made the price of oil higher, wouldn't have gotten him a lot of points across the U.S. Whatever you think about the free markets or whatever, that that, that issue aside, just from the kind of the the public perception, if he would have went out there and said, "Hey, listen, you know, oil prices are tanking, uh, we we can't let this happen," you know, the Saudis, the Russians aren't going to do this. Uh, I don't I don't think that would have actually gotten him a lot of um, political goodwill, but in turn. You have folks in, in Texas now who are sitting there going, well, dang, you know, I lost my job. You know, I can't get money. Uh, all, all this stuff happened. And so now Trump's kind of come back and say, well, I'm good. I'm the, I'm the president that's going to be good for oil. Um, and it, there's an argument to be made that Biden's policies might actually make prices go higher. Um, so obviously, I'm not voting for either one of them. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not a, I don't vote for uh, either, either of the big parties on the presidential level. But, um, and I'm not saying that Biden wouldn't do terrible things or, or whatever. I'm trying to make a case to vote for Biden. I'm just saying that, that there's actually a case that Biden might actually be the better president for just the price of oil moving forward. Yeah. You know, I, I've thought about that and uh, I try to keep my, my politics, you know, hat off, you know, sometimes because, because you never know what's going to happen and, and you could change your mind in the next 20 seconds. But let's just, let's just say at this particular time, you know, he could be 100% right. He could come in here and just try to, you know, do whatever he needs to do to say, we don't like oil. We don't want it, you know, so right. may take off some stuff, but, it, but the price will skyrocket, you know. I can see that, but 
I, and, and I thought, well, man, maybe that's that's a Biden. Man, that's pretty cool. But then you see Trump coming in going, we want a healthy economy. And I believe that. I believe he wants a healthy economy in the oil markets. And, yes, he's not going to allow them to come, you know, take whatever they oil they want and just throw it on the markets and, and you know, lower the price so everybody goes out of business. But he is going to allow people to do it. I think he believes 60 to $65 is a great price. You know, and and it's a healthy, it's a healthy price because it allows rigs to continue working. Because man, if you don't have rigs, I mean, just think about it for a second. One rig running, you know, is is ten million dollars a month. You know, and you got, you know, hundreds of rigs not working. Mm. Just think of all those 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 cities that are, you know, donut. I mean, I know that when when we're we're drilling, I mean, we're going by picking up donuts, we're picking up and picking up not just five donuts. I mean, a, a box full of donuts and. Mm-hmm. And at lunch, you know, we have catering and we have, right. and, you know, they, they use hotels, they use dry cleaners, they use everything there. I mean, it's, it hurts the economy, the trickle down, economy, it, it hurts, you know, tremendously. So we need to get that back. Well, and, you know, it's very astute of you not to take a political side because you're going to endorse me for president, right? That's, that's where you're going. <laughs> yeah, you're I mean, right. But do I have to write it in or do I have to write in or do I just... Yeah, the communists won't put me on the ballot. Yeah, yeah, I'm probably not on the ballot. Uh, if it's if it's say Texas wants to put me on the ballot, that's fine. I'm, I'm by the Constitution, I'm eligible. So you can shut <laughs> whoever's in charge of that. But yeah, just write it in, write it in. And uh, so if you want to go ahead and make that an official announcement now that you're endorsing me for president, Ryan, Ryan Ray for president. Yeah, there you go. I, I don't have a running mate. I don't need one. That's just that's just more bureaucracy. I'm cutting out the vice presidency. That's my first. That's my first level of reduction of bureaucracy. I'm cutting out the VP. There you go. So, you're just uh, thinking about us. You're just thinking about the United, the people of the United States, and and uh, cutting budgets. Listen, what are we paying those vice presidents for? Just go out and give a uh, stump speeches for the president. If we need some help in the Senate, I'll show up. I'll do both roles. I'll take both salaries. I'll take reduction. But yeah, we'll, we'll figure that out. But listen, I'm cutting bureaucracy. That's what I'm going to do. So, Jay, I know we're up against the clock here. So tell folks where they can find out what all you got going on. And you got a book you haven't talked about. Uh, you got, you know, you're, 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 you're all over the place, you know, so you got the J. Well, Young. Show. I mean, our goal, our goal is to, is to educate, educate people on what's going on in the oil and gas markets. And we love doing that. You know, we, we participate in oil and gas assets. We think this is a great time. You buy low, sell high. You want to buy assets now. You want to develop them, increase the value, and then you want to sell them when the price goes up. Just basic, basic. Um, but what we also, I've, I've, I've got the Jay Young Show, which pretty soon I'm going to have Ryan Ray on. And we have, uh, I've got a lot of great guests that I've done there. I've, I've, I've had entrepreneurs there that people that, uh, like Phil Romano, John Malden, I've had Reed Ryan on, you know, the president of, of Astros. You know, that, people like that because I want, I want people to come in and listen to how, how do people understand what's going on with what if you'd have gone and played major league baseball, Brian, instead of, instead of gone into the old business or what, what if you'd have, that's a podcast. Or, like yeah. how, how, how would it have changed my life to actually make money for a living? It would have been fascinating. That was your wife said this weekend. No. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway, you know, just, just I want, what I want to do is I want to, I want to help educate people so they understand the old markets and also, you know, with my podcast going on there and listen, cause I didn't have, that many people that were trying to guide me, you know, when I was in high school and college and, and trying to find my way and I want people to go in there and listen, reply back, you know, like me on the YouTube or whatever, and, and just kind of 
I want to, I want to help change lives, you know, and I think that's a, I think it's a great way to do it. And um, so you can go on the Jay Young show or the J.R. Young, J.R. Young.com and KingOperating.com, whatever. I'm out there. Okay. And you are endorsing me for president. Just so we're all clear. And Ryan Ray for president. Ryan Ray for president. No VP. No VP required. That's Unless I, I can't be the pre- vice president. Well, it depends on when you have me on the show. <laughs> <laughs> you get me on the show before the election, we'll talk about it. All right. Okay, good. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, Jay, we did we didn't even we didn't even mention that you are the uh, former owner of the the da- uh, the Dallas Rangers the Texas Rangers and so we we you got your m- m- uh, memorabilia in the background there so um, oh yeah I got the so so I, so Bob Bodine Bob Bodine is a great guy super super guy he was on the he was on the board of directors with me at the Rangers so man, I, I interview him for the Jay Young show and I'm sitting there and I go Bob you got a picture on your wall of Nolan Ryan you know in the in the with the in the fight you can see. And uh, so Bob Odine had the same picture, autographed by Nolan Ryan, and uh, you know, great guy. And yeah, we we took a stab at the World Series twice. Man, we were 2010-11. We were there, and uh, I was a small owner, um, and you know, I got out after a couple of years. But man, I'll tell you what, that was a great experience, and love baseball, love love the people in that organization. Made a lot of great. I saw Toby Darden. You know, I saw him last Friday or Thursday, I guess, in uh, in Fort Worth. You know, see a lot of those those same people: Billy Quinn, Ken Hurst, um, Nolan Ryan, Dave Wood. Some really great people from that. Bob Inamorati, uh that I still keep up with. So, well, you know, the most impressive thing about COVID um, is not that I was, you know, I had this big trip. Back. So, last time I saw you, if we if we go back in time here, was. COVID was going on, but we went and toured. Uh, I was your guest. So we went and toured the new Ranger Stadium. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And we were, look, we were looking at those suites right behind home plate. And we were talking about you and your buddy, and we were trying to cover it up to split them. They were fantastic. I mean, they were like like beneath home plate. And, and, then, and then the world ended. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We were talking about these suites behind home plate. And then the world literally ended. I don't know when was that because I'm trying to think. I know that um, I can I can tell you I can look up this guy's. Uh, I know I was going to a funeral that day, so I can look up his his, uh, his obituary. But that was, um, I don't know, was January was that was that this year was it last year? Uh, end of uh, end of the year that was was that end of last year? We went, the stadium wasn't finished yet, so they yeah, were just no, in the stadium, okay. and we went through all the suites. Okay, yes, yeah, so, so it was end of last year. God, it's been that long. End of last whatever. year. Yeah, looking, and so that that was the trajectory that we were we were foreseeing into 2020. We were yeah. foreseeing, we were forecasting up and to the right. <laughs> and you see those suites too. The suites are right there, and oh. and uh, it would been great. And that was a lot of money for them. But if we would have all pitched in a little bit of money, we could have yeah you know, gone and been a lot of fun. Yeah, well, a lot of fun. We still we still have the opportunity. Not this year, but maybe <laughs> maybe next year. Next year, <laughs> they're 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 still open. The suites yeah. still open. Uh, I bet they are. Yeah, <laughs> they're not man. having any games there. <laughs> man, I tell you what, they're they're they think they they said they're signing people up out there. What, mm. what a beautiful stadium, man! Oh, that is fantastic, and and it's so needed in the in in Dallas, Irving, Fort Worth, mm-hmm. Metroplex to to have a roof. Yeah, it's so oh. hot during the games. 
Yeah, that, that's why, you know, I'm, I'm a big Red Sox fan, as you know. And so they'd always bring the Red Sox in like the middle of July. It's like, thanks, guys. Thanks. That's, that's yes, that's when I want to come see the Red Sox. So, that's Jay, thank you. For, it was good to have you on. Thank you for your time, sir. And uh, I appreciate your presidential uh, endorsement. That means a lot to me. Uh, yeah, I will now say that the Rangers, I will now say that the Rangers endorsed me as president. So, uh, there you go. We'll, we'll let everyone else figure out the details. So, I'm sure I'll get a, I'll get, I'll get a letter from uh, their attorney. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have no affiliation with the Rangers anymore. You sold your interest, and you're endorsing people. Yeah, absolutely, Ron Ray. Ron Ray for president. Ron Ray for president. So every vote I get, I will contribute to you now. So thank you, sir. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it, guys. Enjoy it, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks. Talk soon. All right. All right, big thanks to Jay Young for coming on the show today. Uh, he's a, a veteran in the industry, so uh, great getting some insights from him, stuff that he's seen over the years. And sealed up the presidential nomination. <laughs> uh, uh, not nomination, um, support. So uh, we can break the news now. It is official. Sergio Chapa is at Bloomberg. So that is where he's at. We did fire him as his as um, Texas on Gas third co-host, but so he's fired. Um, that is official. We will make that announcement to all of our listeners. And uh, I mean, it was short lived. He didn't even make his first day on the office uh, on the job. So um, anyways, so that is where Sergio is going. You can find him at Bloomberg, which means Josh, I mean, the problem for the Chronicle is, is will we still cover their stories? Yeah. I mean, they might need to pay us to keep talking about them. And for Bloomberg, you have just picked up, you know, a huge audience. I mean, I think our pod, I didn't look lately, but I think our podcasts are ranked a lot higher than a lot of theirs. So, um, of course, that means certain, you know, as soon as Sergio actually puts out content, which is the other day. Uh, Josh, anything else? We got text round up or are we up? We are, I know we're up against the time. So I guess we'll, we'll wrap up this show webinar. Be sure to sign up. Nate will link to that in the show notes. And we're back. Are we back next week or next week, Labor Day? I think next week's Labor Day. So next week, we'll Labor Day. We, we might have a, I talked to someone about, about just doing, um, they have some AI technology. I might do a short thing with them, but if not, we're back the week after. So you need to go ahead and sign up for the show webinar, which is September 15th. Until next time, keep coming. Keep coming.